Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Chris Powell. Uh, he uh, is um, really has been involved with the Gold Antitrust Action Committee for, uh, gosh, it's just uh, hard to believe. We just, uh, just realized it's more than 12 years or so since the GATA people first started to, um, to make their presence known and to start kicking some, uh, some of the establishment in the shins, uh, bringing out to light the reality that the gold markets are anything but free. Uh, and, of course, uh, silver, that applies to as well. Uh, but just a bit of a background uh, on Chris Powell for those of you who may not be familiar with Chris and other members of GATA. But Chris uh, has been a career journalist uh, since graduating from high school in 1967. Uh, at the University of Connecticut uh, from 1967 to 1972, Chris worked in the production, circulation, and news department at the journal Inquirer. He left the University of Connecticut a semester short of graduation to work for the newspaper full-time as a news reporter, wire editor, and news editor. He became managing editor and editorial page editor in 1974. In 1992, Chris made an unsuccessful bid for election to the Connecticut Senate. Thereafter, he returned to the Journal Inquirer as managing editor, during which time its circulation grew from 15,000 to about 40,000. Chris is also secretary-treasurer uh, and co-founder of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, for which he often speaks at investment conferences in the United States and abroad. And Chris does have a very calm, professional, journalistic style that has really definitely lent to the credibility of the efforts of GATA to expose anti-market activity by the Anglo-American ruling elite. Uh, welcome, Chris, to turning hard times into good times. Jay, delighted to be here. Really good to have you again. Um, we uh, always enjoy your commentary uh, at the shows uh, when I get around to listening to it. Uh, that's not often enough because, as you know, the shows that we uh, that we both attend are so busy and basically pulling one arm, uh, e each arm in opposite directions, and you feel like you don't have time to to uh, uh, to breathe sometimes. But the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Let's just uh, tell those who I can't believe there are many people in this listening audience who are not familiar with GATA, but you are a civil rights and educational organization. Tell our listeners why GATA was, was formed. We, we were formed uh, back in January 99, uh, Jay, uh, as a result of uh, commentaries that our chairman, Bill Murphy, was writing at his internet site, lemetropolecafe.com. Bill was a former futures trader, and he noticed uh, a lot of anomalies in futures trading and, and gold. Uh, uh, he began to complain in his commentaries repeatedly that the, the market seemed to be manipulated constantly by uh, the major New York investment houses that were also bullion banks. Uh, I stumbled into his Internet site uh, back in late '98 when I was looking for contrarian investment opportunities, uh, I had heard somebody say, you know, buy low and sell high. And, 
It seemed like gold was very low at the time, so I began following the gold market, and I bumped into Bill's commentaries, and uh, there seemed to be a lot of circumstantial evidence in support of his complaint of market manipulation. Um, but my newspaper had had a, a fair amount of uh, uh, history in fighting bigger newspapers that were chain-owned and trying to prevent us from getting ordinary newspaper features, and we'd had to bring or threaten to bring antitrust litigation against uh, these activities in the newspaper business. So I had a layman's familiarity with with antitrust law, and I was able to write to Bill to tell him that uh, there was, you know, a lot of evidence in support of what he was saying, but what he was missing was that all this was illegal under the Sherman and Clayton Federal Antitrust Acts and under uh, 50 state antitrust acts, and instead of just complaining about it from day to day, uh, somebody ought to form a committee and try to engage uh, uh, an antitrust law firm to bring a lawsuit on a contingency basis. Uh, you know, maybe $50,000 would be needed to start such such an organization and sue the bastards. And if uh, somebody wanted to start such an organization, I told him I would pledge $500 to it, and he thought it was a good idea, and that's pretty much how we got started, though uh, I think it was really probably a couple of years, Jay, before we began to realize and compile enough evidence to to, to show that the, the gold price suppression scheme was not your ordinary uh, market rigging scheme that happens in big business all the time, but <clears throat> rather it was it was largely surreptitious, but not always surreptitious, uh, government policy, and that the investment banks, the bullion banks, whose uh, activities seem so uh, anti-competitive, uh, whose activities we were observing, were not really acting on their, their own behest, but they were merely the the agents, the, the fronts for Western Central Bank policy. But it uh, it took us it took us two or three years to really put that all together. Well, that's uh, I, I guess what you're saying is certainly would not be and is not a surprise to G. Edward Griffin, who was our very first member, our very first guest on this show back in March of 2009. And I know he has always applauded your efforts uh, to shine the light on uh, on these bankers, because Griffin uh, has said and believes and has said on this show that in fact the Federal Reserve and the banks that are under it are really really make up a monopoly banking system in essence. So he, he certainly would not have been, uh, would not uh, find what you're saying surprising, would have expected it before you discovered it probably. But if you could just maybe let our listeners know something about it, if you could just give a couple, maybe the stronger points of evidence that this is not an ordinary suppression. You know, Chris, when I look at the markets and the government is involved in the Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve, of course, is not the government, it, although it, it seems to ha have a, a very strong relationship with the government. The Federal Reserve is owned by private banking, by private banking interest, uh, multinational banking interest. But as I look at the at, at what the uh, the Fed and other our policymakers are involved in, I would like to ask what markets are not manipulated. Yes, uh, that's kind of the crack that I made at our Washington conference. Uh, a few years ago, um, we have to realize, Jay, that the the the, the main uh, purpose of central banking is to rig markets. Uh, you know that's what they were created for. That is what they 
they do, and uh, it might be more tolerable if they did it with full transparency and in the open and, uh, you know, with the full understanding of the government and the public. But uh, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and now uh, central banks are engaged in rigging markets not only uh, openly where they are expected to rig them, say, in the government bond and interest rate uh, markets, but they're rigging them surreptitiously through uh, agents, uh, the New York investment houses with which the Federal Reserve uh, and other central banks uh, have private uh, surreptitious uh, arrangements and business dealings. And uh, these dealings, I think, being uh, private and, and secret and uh, kept away from the public are utterly corrupt and uh, uh, really are, are are running the uh, the country when the uh, the elected government is not doing it our our friend Ron Paul the congressman from Texas notes that uh, uh the federal reserve in the united states is uh, uh appropriating and spending more money every year uh than the elected agencies of uh, the government are uh, mm-hmm. appropriating and and spending this this really is is a bigger government than uh, than the one we elect, and uh, mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm aware of uh, the unusual uh, stockholder uh, arrangements of the the Federal Reserve. It's just I would differ with you uh, as to whether it's part of the uh, the government. Uh, the Fed was created by statute; it can be controlled by statute. Its officers, top officers, are appointed uh, by uh, the president and confirmed by the Senate, uh, if we, the people of the United States, through our elected representatives, want to get control of this secret government, the Federal Reserve, we can do it. Uh, it is uh, fully a government uh, enterprise. The The problem is it has taken over the government. Mm-hmm. Well, you look at the people did speak the last election, uh, the Tea Party, raised quite a bit of heck about the about the Federal Reserve. Ron Paul is was given uh, throwing a few crumbs. He's given a subcommittee assignment. Um, uh, you know, but but how much is going to change? And then you wonder to what extent these new Tea Party members are are really devoted to uh, to serving the people that elected them, or can they easily be bought off by by the very strong moneyed interest, as you say, uh, you know, power corrupts. Money buys power, and it seems to me that's much of what's going on. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, this is you know going to, going to be a struggle, but it's it's been the struggle throughout American history. I, I trace this this struggle back to uh, uh, not only the the populist uh, movement in uh, the 1880s and 90s in the United States, but you can trace it back to the Second Bank of the United States and, and, and Andrew Jackson there, is mm-hmm. this natural conflict between what I would call the productive classes and the financial class. And the financial class uh, attempts to rig the uh, financial system of the United States and the world so that uh, it can be the great parasite on the productive class. Uh, it can control prices and control markets and prevent the productive class from getting its uh, uh, the, the rewards of its own labor. And this, this struggle goes back to 
uh, really the the beginning of of, of government in, in the United States. And uh, I think that's what we're up against now, just as our predecessors were up against it uh, decades and even even centuries ago. I am hopeful that there is going to be an increasing recognition of the uh, secret and evil power uh, of the Federal Reserve and how it has been perverted to perpetuate uh, the control over the country of this uh, financial class. Uh, Obviously, uh, some uh, of the people who were elected to Congress in the last uh, election recognize it. Uh, uh, Ron Paul is the leading spokesman in the country for this awareness. He now does have a subcommittee chairmanship that is a platform uh, to spread spread the word. And there is increasing recognition of this on the political left as well. Um, mm-hmm. Matt Taibbi, the uh, far-left journalist for Rolling Stone, had a very long uh, investigative report, uh, unfortunately laced with a lot of uh, obscenities. This is his uh, style in Rolling Stone uh, a few weeks ago, in which he exposed the patronage that uh, the Fed uh, uh, bestowed on certain people during the TARP and other programs, uh, particularly the Fed's award of uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to the wives of a couple of Morgan Stanley executives who had decided to form a a company to get this free Fed money and uh, make a deal with the Fed in which the, uh, uh, the Morgan Stanley wives would uh, take profits on buying some uh, some loans if the loans uh, did turn profitable, uh, and the Fed would take ninety percent of the losses if uh, if the loans purchased uh, proved unprofitable. Now nobody from the Fed called me up or you up uh, and offered uh, you know free money like this. Uh, this is the use of a government agency with the power to create the money of the United States. Uh, treating this is 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 the rankest patronage. Um, and it is being exposed on the political left uh, as well as the political right. And I am, uh, I am hoping that uh, as this exposure continues, the, uh, the broad center of uh, political thought in the United States will realize that this is no way you run uh, the financial system of a democratic country. This is how a, uh, a corrupt totalitarian regime operates and uh, that's what the fed is and it's uh, it's got to be uh, reformed or abolished or or, or or transformed completely and how is it that nobody goes to jail for these kinds of activities chris this is outright theft uh yeah it, it is but as uh, charles peters the uh longtime editor of the washington monthly has always uh, said that the uh, the scandal is uh, very seldom what's illegal. The scandal is usually what's perfectly legal. Mm. Yeah, legal as defined by those with the guns, I guess. Yeah, well, by, you know, it's, it's within statutes or within regulations that doesn't make mm-hmm. it uh, moral. Uh, very often it is absolutely uh, criminal in a moral sense. Well, for the longest time, people really were scoffing at GATA even when there seemed to be a smoking gun evidence. I remember Alan Greenspan talking about, um, you know, about... about Central banks stand ready to lease gold in increasing exactly. quantities should the price rise. Exactly. And, and uh, I remember we'd had uh, Jeffrey Christian, uh, not on this show, but in my newsletter, 
uh, tried to suggest that it was just a matter of trying to keep the markets uh, uh, stable and not uh, with so much volatility. But um, there, there, you, you guys have, and I would just suggest to our listeners, if you're not familiar with GATA, that you go to GATA.org. Uh, uh, and uh, Chris, the daily misses that you put out, and th- and these are just they're tremendous. The uh, the information that you put out, not only on the gold market, but in the, the the market for the dollar, the equity market, the bond markets, all the major markets that have that are interrelated and and have such an impact on the gold markets. You guys comment. You provide excellent information every day. People can just go to gata.org and sign up and get and and receive this, Chris. Yes, uh, we put out uh, dispatches that seem to bear on the gold market or uh, you know the currency markets. markets or the bond markets. Uh, uh, generally, I I don't pretend that we're putting out any kind of comprehensive newsletter, Jay. May basically we distribute things that uh, you know I or other members of the board happen to think would be of of interest to uh, believers in a free market and, and gold and silver and, and free markets, you know, generally. There's many more superior, uh, you know, news services than uh, than ours, but we do try to keep an eye on on the gold market and uh, aspects that have a bearing on uh, the rigging of the, the gold market. And I, I think perhaps our greatest uh, contribution uh has been the collection over the years of official documentation of the Western Central Bank gold price suppression scheme, and uh, we have a uh, a section of our internet site, the uh, the docu- documentation file of our internet site, where we've we've collected uh, uh, many of these uh, documents and you know made them perpetually available to. To people who uh, want to see how the market is rigged and uh, want proofs of that that rigging, and uh, we're always adding to the uh, to the documentation file. Uh, our uh, board member Adrian Douglas, who's the publisher of the Market Force Analysis uh, letter, has done a lot of statistical uh, research. Uh, just some brilliant work over the last couple of years that uh, also has shown uh, how the uh, the gold and silver markets are. Are, uh, are rigged, and uh, we try to publish this stuff and keep it uh, available. And, and Hector, the markets and uh, uh, news organizations and government officials around the world to uh, to look at it and uh, to, to help us pry out the, the truth and and make uh, the central bankers who are you know rigging the uh, the gold market and other markets to make them to make make them at least do it in the open. Yeah, I remember we had Adrian on this show, and I remember him talking about how uh, the London PM fix, uh, how it was over time rigged to a great extent to drive the price lower. And if you had if you had bought on the AM fix and sold on the PM fix, how you would have lost uh, lost money, uh, or at least not made anywhere nearly as much money as you would have if you did the opposite. Uh, and statistically, it was impossible to think this happened. Uh, spontaneously, without without being uh, directed, it was just an amazingly uh, an amazing piece of evidence. I thought, yeah, he showing he has, has proved that you know this this manipulation, uh, this gold price uh, suppression, uh, is a daily operation. It's not just you know a, a a general desire of the Western Central Banks that they will act here and there, as with gold leasing or things like that to 
tamp the price down. Uh, no, to the contrary. Uh, gold price control is, is a daily operation of the, the Western Central Banks, and it is implemented uh, in the, uh, the London bullion market and uh, the New York commodity market. Well, there certainly could be direct intervention or manipulation, call it what you want, by central banks uh, that discourage or cause traders to act in one direction or another. But then I look at things like uh, a piece of news that came out from the GATA dispatch uh, the other day. This was on the 22nd of April. You put this out in which uh, the Fed is selling put options on treasury bonds. At least there's a those allegations that the Fed is actually basically you know, guaranteeing large buyers of treasuries that if the interest rates were to rise dramatically, they wouldn't lose on their treasuries. Is that... Uh, is that yeah, that, that was a commentary by Eric DeCarbonell. Uh, he went through uh, the minutes of the Federal Open Market Committee from a few years ago and showed that there was uh, detailed discussion of uh, this particular form of, of market intervention. And in fact, uh, you know, a lot of what we do, Jay, is to go through the minutes of official proceedings like the Federal Open Market Committee and 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 show how uh, this uh, kind of market intervention is at least discussed. Now, uh, uh, it's not always uh, plotted out and decided uh, with a vote, okay, we're going to intervene in, in the market this way, but there's, there's very often detailed discussion of how the Fed can uh, influence particular markets, including the, the gold market. Uh, usually, I think uh, these discussions are very heavily censored uh, by the Fed Secretariat before the minutes of the meetings are published. But uh, sometimes, you know, some of this market rigging dis discussion does get into the minutes and it's not uh, censored. And, you know, we've, we've found a lot of it. We've uh, We've published it. Uh, it's funny. A lot, some of the market rigging stuff uh, remains on the uh, uh, the Federal Reserve's own internet sites. There's a a long memorandum that was found in the file of the uh, uh, late chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, William McChesney Martin, the longest serving chairman of the uh, uh, of the Fed. Uh, his file, which was donated, his his papers, which were donated to the Missouri Historical Society. Uh, he was from Missouri, uh, contained a long memorandum uh, dated, I think, 1961, uh, which uh, was a plan of uh, having the Fed surreptitiously intervene in the currency and gold market in order to support the dollar and suppress gold prices. And it even described how certain uh, financial reports published by the United States government uh, would, under this plan, uh, have to be uh, doctored or uh, withdrawn from publication or just frankly falsified in order for the currency market and gold market rigging plan to be implemented. This market rigging plan remains, last time I looked, on the Internet site of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. It's a detailed plan for rigging the gold market. Uh, it's an official government document. Now, I can't prove that that particular plan was implemented, but I can I can prove that uh, it was it was concocted by the Federal Reserve Board, and uh, that at least as of that date, the Fed was uh, very much contemplating a surreptitious rigging, not just of the gold market, but of all the currency markets. Mm -hmm. Well, and indirectly, uh, if the 
I, I mean, to what end would the gold price suppression take place, I believe, and tell me what you think, Chris, that a good part of it would have to do with trying to remain the con job, keeping the con job, that is keeping people confident in paper money as opposed to gold, intact. And so, I mean, one of the big threats you would think, everybody uh, that sort of understands free markets is suggesting that we're going to have to have rising interest rates on the long end of the yield curve. Uh, and, and according to this article that we just talked about, um, uh, Eric DeCarbonal talked about the desire of the part, on the part of the Fed to hold down the long-term rates uh, as the U.S. borrowing interest uh, needs are going to skyrocket. Of course, it's been made up of QE1 and QE2 recently, but how, that in, is an indirect way of manipulating the gold price, wouldn't you say? Yeah, the, um, uh, there is a historic relationship a historic inverse relationship between the price of gold and real interest rates. Uh, this relationship was studied in an academic paper uh, published back in the uh, 1980s, I believe, uh, uh, written by Lawrence Summers, who was then a uh, professor of economics at Harvard and went on to be assistant uh, treasury secretary and then treasury secretary. Uh, and uh, his fellow uh, economics professor at uh, the University of Michigan, a guy named Robert Barsky, paper was titled Gibson's Paradox and the Gold Standard. And we've posted it on our Internet site. And it, uh, it, it studied how uh, gold and interest rates were related to each other, that if you had high uh, real interest rates, uh, the gold price would be, would be kept down. And if you had low real interest rates, the gold price would go up. It implied strongly that governments could uh, reach their nirvana of uh, perpetually low interest rates if they could get control of the gold price. Uh, we consider this academic paper to really have uh, been the keystone of the Western Central Bank gold price suppression scheme. It, it, it really laid out a rationale for suppressing the gold price as a as a mechanism of controlling interest rates. Uh, now, gold is certainly a a potentially competitive currency, as silver is against the dollar and all the other currencies. But the the central bank interest in controlling the gold price is, we believe, largely a matter of controlling interest rates and maintaining the value of government bonds. Uh, mm -hmm. That. Uh, uh, central banks wouldn't care all that much about gold if it was not largely a determinant of government bond prices. That uh, mm -hmm. uh, the gold price is, is the tail on the uh, on the government bond uh, dog, and and that's really why central banks are so determined to control the gold price uh, any way they can, you know, preferably surreptitiously, because they want to protect their currencies and they want to protect particularly government bonds. Okay, uh, Chris, uh, I have so much more I want to ask you. Um, could you stick with us? We've got to go take a commercial break and, uh, and come back in, in the two or three minutes with us? Sure, that'd be fine. Okay, let's go to commercial break right now, and we'll be right back with Chris Powell of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. 
Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Enertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Enertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CN. SX Exchange. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top 10 gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. .sandgold.ca Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite with operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and Good Times. I am here with Chris Powell of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Uh, Chris, uh, when we went to break, uh, there was a question I wanted to ask you. This is sort of, um, um, well, for those that are still skeptical, I mean, and it's uh, you know, sort of hard to be skeptical from, my, from where I sit for all the years that I've been following GATA, but there are still skeptics out there. One of the uh, one one person recently said, "Well, why in the world 
would traders be continuing to short gold and manipulate the gold price, try to manipulate the gold price when there's this powerful rise, this bull market of a lifetime that's in place now, taking gold from $250 to $1,500. I mean, uh, this person said it's ludicrous to think that uh, traders would be, you know, getting together every night after 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 uh, the trading session uh, over a beer, talking about how they lost money again, shorting the gold price. What do you say to skeptics to that to that argument? That uh, well, in the, in the first place, uh, these aren't really traders, Jay. These are central banks operating through uh, a few big banks um, mm-hmm. now. You can look at the reports of the Office of Controller of the Currency, and you can you can see something's very strange when it comes to the gold and silver markets. That uh, uh, there are huge derivatives issued in the gold and silver markets, which are essentially short positions in gold and silver, and they appear almost completely on the books of only two banks: uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and HSBC. Um, one has to ask himself why are only two banks playing the gold and silver derivative markets uh, so so big. Nobody else you know, does this. We, we would argue that this is evidence that the gold and silver price suppression schemes are essentially government operations, uh, that uh, the government is operating through these two banks. And we know that the U.S. government has uh, an especially intimate relationship with Morgan Chase and really uh, has had that relationship uh, for more than uh, than a century. We, we believe those derivative positions are essentially U.S. government positions. So uh, we're not talking about a lot of traders here, Jay. We're talking about basically a couple of big banks uh, essentially uh, acting for uh, the, uh, the U.S. government, and those losses can be entirely reimbursed in, in paper. Um, mm-hmm. These are paper markets, and the U.S. government now uh, is, is printing essentially infinite uh, amounts of money, and these losses are no problem. They can be they can be covered in the infinite uh, money that's being uh, printed by uh, the Fed now. Uh, but money could be made in uh, ordinary trading if you know uh, how the government is going to come in and trade at particular times. Well, if, as we maintain, the government is operating through agents here, the government has to communicate its desires to those agents, uh, and those agents, knowing what the government's uh, trading orders are, can front-run those trades. Uh, uh-huh. Further, as others have noted, um, the uh, as I think Avery Goodman uh, noted in his commentary today, uh, if the government essentially has got infinite paper money uh, to back up its trading operations, the government can create such volatility in uh, the markets it's targeting that it can scare other traders uh, out of those markets or it can train them into trying to trade with the government. So, you know, if, if you have access, as the government does, to infinite money or infinite uh, uh, amounts of what passes uh, for, for, for money today, you can control any, any market uh, in the world. Now, uh, I admit a lot of this is hypothesis, but I would urge people, uh, before drawing any conclusions or accepting, you know, my conclusions, to look at the facts. Look at the gold and silver derivatives on the books of Morgan Chase and HSBC is registered with the Office of the Controller of the Currency and, and try to explain them. Uh, try, try to understand why you know, nobody else is in these, these markets. 
then ask the Fed and the Treasury uh, to show you all their private communications with uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and HSBC. Of course, you know, this will not be done. Uh, but nevertheless, I think you've got to kind of become a little skeptical of this. How come the Fed and the Treasury have, have these private uh, uh, communications with those, those banks? Uh, right. It all gets put into context, I think, when you go through our documentation file and read the documents that uh, we have put together there that are either Fed documents or Treasury documents, in uh, so some cases even declassified uh, CIA memos. Uh, minutes of the Federal Open Market Committee. Uh, well, then it you know comes together. There is a a very candid in some of these documents policy of controlling, uh, regulating, suppressing, limiting the rise of the gold price, uh, precisely because it's a competitive currency uh, that helps uh, determine the value of the dollar and the level of interest rates. This is this is no conspiracy theory jay this is this is government policy laid out in documents that it used to be understood uh but it's not taught uh in schools of economics uh, anymore and and uh journalists uh, just don't have any interest in in getting into this policy i think uh, I, I think it could be exploded any day if the wall street journal or new york times or washington post or financial times or ap or reuters or bloomberg uh decided to put uh, you know, three very pointed questions to the Fed or the Treasury about gold. Uh, you know, one that uh, I'm hot on is uh, uh, to ask the Fed, uh, what are its gold swap arrangements with foreign banks? We have a letter written by Kevin M. Warsh of the Fed to Ghana's lawyers uh, sent a couple of years ago, in which uh, Fed Governor Warsh says that the Federal Reserve has gold swap arrangements with foreign banks and that these arrangements must remain secret. Well, you know, if I was a financial journalist, uh, you know, I might ask them, what are these arrangements for and, and, and why do they have to be secret? Now, I don't think they'll ever get the answer because I know what the answer is. Those arrangements are uh, the mechanisms by which the Fed and other associated central banks help rig the gold market. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, getting back to this issue of the trader, though, why would traders continue to short the market? Well, I think if I, what I hear you saying is that the individual trader, the lowly trader, lowly in the sense that he's the low, lowest guy on the totem pole, probably bringing down bigger, bigger money than than any kind of real producer of wealth could even dream of. But uh, if what I understand you to say is that he probably isn't even aware. He would not be aware of what's going on above him. He's giving uh, dictates from up above so that the senior members of management might be closer to the decision-making. Someone, the senior economist or somebody that, that markets that directs markets, is hearing or getting a command from somebody at a higher level suggesting that it's good to go short gold, good to go long gold today, and the trader doesn't really ask any questions. Yeah, I, I don't think necessarily that you know the Morgan trader on the COMEX uh, – uh, is picking up a call directly from the Secretary of the Treasury or the no, Chairman exactly. of the Federal Reserve, but uh, that the uh, Treasury and Fed maintain accounts uh, at investment banks uh, around the world is, uh, I don't think, is is in dispute, and that the U.S. government uh, operates in secret in the financial markets and has the plain authority to do so under the Gold Reserve Act of 1934. Uh, which establishes the Exchange Stabilization Fund. I mean, that's that's not even in dispute. I would encourage anybody who has any 
skepticism about what we're we're talking about to to look up the Gold Reserve Act of 1934, which establishes the Exchange Stabilization Fund, which uh, authorizes the Secretary of the Treasury through the Exchange Stabilization Fund to intervene secretly in any market in the world and not be answerable to any other officer of the government. That is, mm-hmm. the Treasury Secretary, with the President's approval, uh, can secretly intervene in any market in the world, uh, including the gold market. Right. Now, well, if the they're not doing it, if they're not contemplating doing it, what's that law for? Yeah, good question. Well, Chris, there's so much more we could talk about. We are out of time. Uh, I've basically encroached on the last quarter of the hour because this is there's so much here to talk about. I've got to have you back sometime, you or Bill or somebody uh, or several of you from the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Again, it's gata.org, people. You can go there, gata.org, to pick up information. Also, get on the mailing list and get the daily dispatch from uh, from gata. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back uh, with my friend and colleague, Ted Ohashi, from investmentpitch.com. Don't go away. I'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Goldfields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000 ton per day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Back to trading hard times into good times. This is the wrap-up section uh, for this week's show, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Ted Ohashi. Uh, he and I are uh, involved with InvestmentPitch.com on the advisory board. Ted has been an analyst in Vancouver, uh, a securities analyst, and very much involved in the financial markets. So it's always a pleasure to talk to Ted. Ted, welcome. Hi, Jay. Thank you very much. Good to have you on again. Uh, clue us in on what happens, uh, what's happening to the markets. I had my my screen turned off during today's show. Is the uh, is the Dow up or down today? Um, I haven't seen it recently either. I was uh, tied up in meetings all morning, but uh, okay. I saw the gold price was uh, was reasonably flat. So uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, Ted, right there we were we were in Chicago um, a weekend, actually a week ago, a little more than a week ago now. And you uh, uncovered a couple of companies that I guess that Investment Pitch has picked up as clients that you think uh, you'd like to tell our listeners about? Sure. Yeah, I I would, Jay. Um, uh, The two companies that I'd like to talk about today, uh, one is uh, called Columbia Crest Gold Corp. Uh, It's uh, listed on the Venture Exchange, CLB. Um, The company is focused on acquiring and uh, exploring gold prospects in South America uh, with particular emphasis on Colombia. Now, as we all know, Colombia has had a long history of gold production, um, and uh, and there have been some uh, well-established gold camps there as well. Um, they've often they've optioned um, uh, what's called the Fredonia property, uh, which is on the Caca Belt, and it's a porphyry gold prospect. Um, there's about 500 years of of history in this area uh, in terms of gold mining. Um, and there's been some recent discoveries as well, uh, one by Anglo Gold, for example. Uh, they recently uh, acquired another property uh, in the same general area called uh, Venetia, um, and it's also a, a porphyry gold target. Um, the third property they have is called San Simon, and it's uh, in Bolivia. Uh, now, Bolivia isn't a hot spot as far as investors are concerned, so. Uh, the company is looking for a joint venture partner uh, to try and advance the exploration there. Uh, but that's a property that has a, a small 43101 resource, so um, it, it may be of interest down the road. Um, what I like about the company is uh, a couple of things. They have, uh, they have obviously good properties that I've talked about. Uh, they have good people, and they've got $6 million in the bank. So, uh, so they're sitting uh, quite comfortably. Okay, and what was the other one, Ted? Uh, the other one is called Fisher Watt. Uh, it's it's a U.S. over-the-counter uh, company, FWGO. 
Um, and uh, uh, they're involved in uh, uranium properties in uh, Wyoming, South Dakota, and Arizona. Uh, much of the basic work has been done on their properties. Uh, the most advanced property is the Cyclone Rim in uh, Wyoming, where they've drilled 100 holes, uh, and they've uh, recently had an independent report done uh, that indicates that uh, the area has the potential for 40 to 10 to 40 million pounds of, of uranium, U-308. Um, I like the fact that uh, these guys are in the U.S., uh, in uranium-producing areas, and in regions that are um, kind of friendly toward uranium mining. Uh, the key then uh, to uh, for Fisher-Watt uh, shareholders uh, is to be a uranium believer after the disaster in Japan and all the negative publicity about uh, the outlook for uranium. Uh, but if you are a, an optimist, then uh, this might be a real opportunity to uh, uh, to get into a stock at a very depressed price. Um, so both of these companies uh, presented at the uh, Chicago Resource Expo uh, uh, run by Rich and Eric Rodez that uh, you and I were at. Um, we... Um, uh, videotape their presentations, and uh, they'll be available on the uh, uh, investmentpitch.com uh, website uh, or on the individual company websites as well. So I invite your listeners to uh, to have a look. Thank you, uh, Ted. You know, I want to thank you for mentioning um, Fisher Watt because I was going to have Peter Bothaus uh, with us uh, on today's show, and uh, he was not there. I'm not sure why I think maybe we needed to call him or whatever we got occupied with Chris Powell then in the gold antitrust action committee so we just stayed with that but I might mention also that the share price is below a nickel actually I That's think right. it's four I That's looked right. this morning it's 4.1 cents and the ask was 4.4 so that's if you're looking for a penny speculation uh, with something real in it, uh, and honestly, I believe that the uranium mining industry is here to stay, and so is nuclear power, notwithstanding the tragedies of Japan, unfortunate and disastrous as that has been. Uh, there don't seem to be any great alternatives for uh, making up that uh, power, uh, that source of electricity. Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks, Ted, for being with us. Again, investmentpitch.com. You can follow those companies and many more at investmentpitch.com. And what's nice about investmentpitch.com is there are some very attractive young ladies there too. That uh, at least for us guys, it's sort of sort of nice to uh, uh, to watch uh, uh, to deliver the news. Uh, anyway, I better stop while I'm ahead on that score. Uh, next week we're going to have Richard Mayberry with us. You won't want to miss Rick Mayberry. Always insightful, Rick Mayberry. Uh, I want to thank the people that made this show logistically possible. Ruben Clome, Justin Jackman, Tacey Trump, my, uh, my uh, producer. Uh, and thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is.